The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. First of all, how would you answer the question, what is injustice? What is it? Uh, I'm sure there's books and books and books about what this means. If we try to dissolve it into a nutshell, how do you like this as a definition? When people aren't getting their due from one another. When people aren't getting what they deserve. A lot of times we think of what people deserve, especially as Christians, we think of uh, the negative, punitive part, right, of justice. Punishment for evil doing. That's part of injustice, isn't it? So when there are systems and behaviors in society, in relationships, and evil is happening, and there's never anybody standing up against it, there's no punishment for it, that's injustice, right? When evil is allowed to continue, we would call that injustice, wouldn't we? So that's the negative part of injustice. The positive part of injustice is this. Human beings, you're made in the image of God, and you deserve to be loved. You, de- you deserve to be cared for, protected, honored, valued. And so the, the other part of injustice is when the weak are not receiving their rights, what is due to them as people valuable in the image of God. So do you see that kind of the two hands of injustice? One is evildoing is not punished. It's not stopped. Um, on the other hand, the good things that should be happening aren't happening. Uh, people aren't receiving the rights due to them because they're made in the image of God and they're valuable. Does that make sense? So, injustice, um, when people aren't receiving their due. And I'm talking here just for a little bit, dipping our toes into tidal waves. It's going to be painful. Um, Three areas of hidden injustice. Three areas, just super briefly, of hidden injustice. I think the word hidden is important because I think most of you, uh, if somebody tried to mug somebody on the street corner, you'd be like, Stop. You'd call 911. You, you would step in. Um, if somebody was dying right next to you, you wouldn't be like, eh. You would care. You would act. If, if injustice was right in front of your nose in many ways, you'd want to do something. But there's hidden injustices that are happening all around us all the time. And we can tend to walk around like, Well, we don't see them. We don't even know they're there. And I'm just, again, a disclaimer, I'm barely dipping our toes into only three. (laughs) You could go on and on for a long time. Barely dipping our toes into only three. But look at this. Number one, these are three that are on my mind lately. Number one, abandonment. Abandonment, hidden injustice that's around us all the time. Look at these statistics from the Orangewood Foundation. Over 2,800 children in Orange County have suffered from physical and emotional abuse and neglect and are dependents of the court. They don't have anywhere to live. They've got no one to take care of them. They've been hurt. They've been abandoned. I've seen stats like if one church had, if, if every church in Orange County had one family to be a resource family, there wouldn't be any foster kids, or at least not, not in the system. They'd be in homes. Um, and look at these, this information about them, these children. These are children who have been so abused, so abandoned that this, the court has to take over for them. 
65% of them emancipate without a place to live. So that means they age out of the system, and it's at 18. Maybe some of you from the older school generation, you were ready to live on your own at 18. I don't know a whole lot of 18-year-olds ready to live on their own. And that's in solid families, right? Responsible families. 65% of these emancipate without a place to live. 51% are unemployed within two to four years. And 70%, if you put, put this together, 70% of all state prison inmates were in foster care. What's one reason, a reason, the criminals are criminals? They didn't have families. They were abandoned. They were lost. And there's, there's thousands of kids that belong to the state with no one to care for them, no place to live. Um, is that justice? Are they getting what they deserve? Are they getting what they need? And yet, I, I'm, I'm right here with you. I'm, I'm blind to it most of the time. That's one level. Let's, let's make it even worse. Worldwide slavery. These are statistics from International Justice Mission. Hard to believe. Over how many people are held in slavery today around the world? 45 million? Million? I can't even handle that number. 45 million in slavery today. One in four of them is a child. I'm not smart enough to do the math. That's way too many child slaves around the world. Right now, today, human trafficking, they say, generates $150 billion a year. Two-thirds of that from commercial sexual exploitation. Massive injustice. Massive injustice. Evil happening constantly. Not being stopped. Uh, the poor, the needy, not receiving what is due to them, the love, the care, the concern that they deserve. Massive injustice. You know, when you look at this, you do have to ask, why are we like this? Why are we like this? Why do human beings do this? What's the Christian answer? Injustice is sin in our relationships. Sin, really, right, the heart of it is selfish pride. And to God, it's get out, of, get out of my way. I don't want you as my God. I'm going to do it myself. So we demean God. We replace God. We have a false God of our own making. When that plays out in relationships, instead of loving you as someone in the image of God, I'm going to demean you for my own purposes. You exist for me. And, man, when that gets institutionalized, human sin, injustice abounds. Look at these uh, few illustrations of history, just a couple illustrations. Again, I've said injustice comes from a heart of sin where we demean others for our own purposes. 1858, Virginia Supreme Court. In the eyes of the law, what? The slave is not a person. It's really convenient to make them not a person. Because now what can we do with them? Enslave them. We'll demean them. In the, in, and who they are in the image of God will demean that and insult that so that we can use them. Injustice. 1881, American Law Review. An Indian is not a person within the meaning of a constitution. Demean the humanity? Now, now what can we do? Whatever we want. 
this won't be strange to anyone. The 1936, um, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. 1928, Canada Supreme Court. How do you like this, ladies? The meaning of qualified persons does not include women. I guess at that time it meant you can't vote, probably. You're not, you're not fully on the person level, so you're not fully in the image of God, so we have the, the right to mistreat you. That's injustice. 1936, German, Germany Supreme Court. They refused to recognize Jews as what? Persons in the legal sense. Well, we know what happens next. And here's where it cl hits closer to home today. Thank God society has changed in many ways, at least where we live on those issues. But look at the 1997 Canada Supreme Court. The law of Canada does not recognize who? The unborn child as a legal person possessing rights, which means we can abort it. We can kill it. Uh, it's September 3rd. What's going to happen in eight days? It's going to be September 11th, and what are you going to see on commercials and on bumper stickers? Never forget. Why? Because 3,000-something people were killed on that horrible day. That's about how many babies are aborted in this country every single day. And we forget. We forget. The abortion business does not forget because it brings them about a billion dollars a year. But this is unjust, isn't it? For many reasons. Here's two. Let's start. Let's, first one. Why is it? Why is it so unjust? I think abortion abuses women so horribly. Amber knows far more about that than I do with the work that she does, and she's going to share just a teeny bit of, of that kind of stuff with you. But abortion abuses women. There's reason to believe it brings increased risk of breast cancer, uterine damage, fewer pregnancy complications. Relational abuse, women are often pressured, then abandoned, and sometimes there's horrible psychological troubles that come from abortions. And I just, I wanna stop right here and say, if this is you, or if this is a friend or a family member that you have, we love you. Wouldn't you wanna say that, church? Again, half of you are here, but wouldn't you all, all half of you that are here, wouldn't you want to say to these women, we love you. We love you. Uh, we, we are not here to condemn you. Uh, what do you think is the most famous uh, Christian song in the world? An old one. Amazing Grace. Yeah, Amazing Grace. It's really good to remember the brother who wrote that mess. What's his name? John Newton. And what was his... Uh, what was his job description for a while? Slave trader. Slave trader. What evils did he commit on those boats? What regrets does he have in his life? Overwhelming. And what is he able to write? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saves a wretch like me. It's good to remember those words, and it's good to remember who wrote it, because we remember a couple of things. Um, number one, the cross can pay for every single sin. Amen? Can I get a big one for that? Every sin, the cross can take care of it. Every single one. There's never a sin that was too much or too bad 
that Jesus can't take care of it. Every sin can be forgiven, every single one. It also reminds us that we're all in the same boat. Which one of us needs Jesus to make us right with God? The slave traders, the really bad sinners? Well, not us. I, we, we always go to church. No. We, who, who needs it? We all need it. We all need it. We are in the same boat as sinners who need Jesus, and he is enough for each one of us. But abortion is unjust and then it abuses women and it also kills children. I was tempted to argue the reasons and science behind the reality that the unborn children are still children and deserve human rights. Um, but I decided not to today. I think most even abortion supporters are admitting that with uh, science and technology. And it's just, it's true. They're human children. If you would like to talk about that or argue about it, I would love to meet with you about it. I'm just going to let one person speak for me today. His name is Curtis Boyd, and he is an abortionist, and he has performed many abortions, and this is what he says. Am I killing? What's his answer? Yes, I know that. Hidden injustice. Happens every day, happens in our community. We don't see it, though. Um, doesn't happen right in front of us. It's behind the walls. It's in, a, it's in a room far away. And so what can we do when we don't see the injustice? We can forget about it. Not be concerned about it. That's the first point. Hidden injustice is all around, right? It's all around. We just dipped our toes. That's all we did into the tidal wave. But now let's think about the God who loves justice. So the question here is, how do you respond when you, when you taste the tidal wave of injustice? Um, I know there's a couple responses I've flirted with. One is, um, you can just despair. <laughs> you, ever had, you ever done that? You just despair. It lands on you, and I, you go home, and lunch doesn't even taste good anymore. And you can't enjoy your friends anymore because you just feel the weight of the suffering that's happening all the time. And you just despair, and it steals steals joy out of your life. I've had that sense before. Um, but you know, it doesn't help to let the beauty and justice that is there be tainted by the injustice. Uh, another thing we do, I know I've done this, how do you respond to the injustice? You can just look away. Stream Netflix. <laughs> uh, go shopping. Eat more ice cream. Just try to numb yourself. Forget. But is that enough for God's people? Are you happy with that? I'm not. How should we respond? And that's where I want to go to our psalm today for a minute. How should we respond? And I think the psalmist's answer um, is surprising, counterintuitive, unexpected. He's obviously writing about justice issues, right? He spends half the psalm on this who God is and what God loves. But how does the psalm begin? Look with me, Psalm 146, verses one to two. What does he say? Praise the Lord. Then what's he say again? Praise the Lord, O my soul. And then what's he say again, verse two? I will praise the Lord as long as I live. And then what's he gonna do after that? I will sing praises to my God while I'm alive. Were you catching a certain theme there? Should I spell it out for you? Praise the Lord. 
verbally praise the Lord. What is praise? Let's remember that. It gets, that's a word that gets Christianized. What is praise? You know, it's the most common thing in the world. What do you do when you see a beautiful sunset and you're with someone, your friend, somebody you love? What do you do? You say, that is a beautiful sunset. And what are you doing? You're praising. Praise is when you see something beautiful, it brings joy in your heart, and you can't help but share it. You see something beautiful, it brings joy in your heart. You can't help but share it. Our greatest joys are when we are praising. That's why you're going to be happy in heaven forever, because that's guess what you'll be doing. If you see something beautiful, it'll give you so much joy, and you share it with everybody around you. And the psalmist says, when we face injustice, praise. You think he's naive? You think he lives a perfect kind of Joel Osteen kind of world? Joel Osteen stuff didn't work at this time of history. That's Americana right there, right? You think way back then, whenever he wrote this, he lived a life where there was no injustice? The ancient Middle Near East? No. He knows all about oppression, injustice, suffering. He's experienced some of it. He's not naive. And yet, what is he saying? He's saying, in this evil and unjust world, I would have no hope unless God had come down for me. Unless God had visited me and invaded things and had set me free and had saved me and had come after me, I'd have no hope. And because he has done that for me, how's he going to respond? I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. Two reasons the psalmist praises God. Look at verses 5 to 6. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them. He keeps faith forever. How strong is, uh, is the God the psalmist is worshiping here in these verses? How big is, is God? What has he done? He made everything. The Bible's always asking us to look back at this idea of creation. How marvelous, how beautiful, how splendid, how powerful, how overwhelming creation is. And then, and then remember, who made that? Who did this? Our God did it. How powerful is he then? How good is he? How wise is he? The psalmist is praising God because God's power, he says, is devoted to his people. The one who made everything helps those who hope in him. The one who made everything is the God of Jacob. You can call this God your God. God's power devoted to his people. So he's praising him. Thank you, God, that you've stepped in for me. You're so powerful and you're for me. You're with me. You help me. Second reason the psalmist praises God, look at verse 7. What does God do? He executes justice for the oppressed. What does God love to do? Execute justice for the oppressed. So we've got a little time this morning. Does anybody want to learn a Hebrew word? I don't really know Hebrew. I have to admit that to you. I know a little bit about this word. I'll share it with you, okay? Everybody say mishpat. Okay, good. You probably said that wrong. I'm not sure. I did too. The word mishpat occurs in its various forms over 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. You can find that in Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. Over 200 times. And it's used in... in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it means righteousness. Sometimes it means a law or a standard. Sometimes it means justice. What it means is this, ultimately, 
to treat people equitably. It's kind of what we talked about earlier. Give people what, they do, what they're due. So here's one example, Leviticus 24, 22. The law says you shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. A little, little test for your brains. Which word in there do you think is from the Hebrew word mishpat, justice or righteousness? You shall have the same mishpat for the sojourner and the native. Same justice. So the laws, who do they apply to? A good Jewish dude or the uh, refugee who just walked across the border? Same. Same. Same law. Same justice. Same. They're made in the image of God. So again, that's on the, the negative side. It should be the same, there should be the same penalty for the same crime. It doesn't matter who you are, how rich you are, how educated you are, how good, how bad. You, no, same. Mishpat. Not only so, we want to treat, equitably, treat people equitably, which means we want to give people their rights. That's what mishpat means relationally. Give people what is due to them. And look at the example our God sets for us in verses 7 to 9. Verses 7 to 9. 7, 8, 9, that's three verses. We're going to count nine things that God does in these three verses. So help me, will you? Verse 7, what's the first thing God does? Executes justice for the oppressed. Guess what that word justice is? Mishpat, gives them what, they, what they're due, what they deserve. So oppressed are people that are, the oppressed are people that are experiencing injustice, and God's going to come and fix that. What else does God do? He gives food to? People need to eat. What's he do? Feeds them. Third thing God does, the Lord sets prisoners free. Uh, these are not all the criminals who are actually criminals who just got into jail and God's like, open the gates. <laughs> no. Guess what tends to happen in unjust systems, specifically to the poor sometimes? You go to jail with these ridiculous sentences that... This is crazy. They don't deserve it. It's unjust. The system gets broken. Well, you can talk to my mom about this and the prison ministry she does. And the Lord wants to set prisoners free. What's he do? Verse 8. Opens the eyes of the blind. He heals people. He works to heal people, the sick. Uh, what's he do? Still verse 8. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. So that means he, he comes to the... This is the this is more of a counseling almost idea where somebody is downtrodden, depressed, scared, frightened, anxious, and you come alongside and you encourage and you build up and you help. How does the Lord feel about the righteous? He loves them. Verse 9, what does he do? The Lord watches over the sojourners. What's a sojourner? It's a refugee. They don't live here. Watches over. You see, he just sits there with binoculars like, oh, that's interesting. Look at all of them. What does watch over mean? Cares for them. Provides for them. Makes sure they're okay. Most vulnerable part of society comes up next. He upholds who? The widow and the fatherless. In a, especially in the, uh, this time and place in history, if you're a widow and you're fatherless, you're in trouble. There's nobody stand up for you. There's nobody to protect you. There's nobody to care for you except one. God will. That's his heart. He upholds them. And what's he do with the wicked? He brings their way to ruin. How does that fit in with justice? 
Well, it's mishpat. He stops injustice. He will stop injustice. Do you see God's heart in these verses? Uh, one scholar said, this is shocking that God talks like this. And there's plenty of other texts where he does this. This is shocking that God talks like this. Because most ancient gods, they want to be like, hey, I'm friends with the king. Me and the king, great armies, that's what I'm about. And God says, oh, you want to know who I'm like? You, you want to know what I'm like? I'm friends with the... I'm friends with the people who have nothing. The poor, the lost, the outsider, the vulnerable. That's who I relate to. That's who's on my mind. He names himself this way. He identifies himself with the powerless. See God's heart. No, not only that, see his deeds. Where did Israel come from? You remember that whole story? How did we get this thing called Israel? Where did God find this crowd? It was in Egypt. Remember what this crowd was doing in Egypt? They were slaves. They were slaves. They were mistreated. Their children were murdered. And God stepped in, and what did he do? He rescued them mightily. Gave them a new identity, a new place, a new position. Look what God says in Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19. The Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who's not partial and he takes no bribe. He likes justice, right? Verse 18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. He loves them, giving them food and clothing. Therefore, what should you do, Israel? Love the sojourner. Why? Because that's who you were. You were the slave. You were the downtrodden. You were the lost. You were the orphan. You were the widow. That's you. And I brought you in. I've made, I've made you so much more, God says. See God's heart. See God's deeds, this psalm says. See that there's no other hope. Back in verses 3 to 4, man, don't, don't put your trust in princes and a son of man where there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to earth. On that day, his plans perish. When it comes to injustice, where are you going to look for hope? Politics, right? That'll take care of all our problems. <laughs> look, we're evolving. Give it another 8 million years and maybe one day. No. We can't even save ourselves. We can't even save ourselves. I know this brings up hard questions, right? One hard question that came to my mind was, well, if God loves justice so much and he does this, how come he doesn't do it more? Anybody else ever had that question? How come he doesn't do it more? I don't have time today to unpack all that the way I understand it. But I would love to talk to you about it. I would want to say these things. Number one, that's an important question. Don't just squelch it. The Bible has that question too. God's put it in his own word. Number two, if you don't have a God who loves justice, I don't think rationally we have even a, an ability to believe that justice is real. If there's no God who loves justice and you're like, oh, there's so much injustice, there can't be a God. Well, what are you going to argue based on when you want justice in the world? Your opinion, his opinion. Uh, the Germans said Jews weren't people and they don't think they're people, but I feel like they are. Okay, feel that way. That's all you have. You have to have a God of justice for justice to be real at all. Another question I have, too, is when we're like, God, how can you be real when there's no justice? What's it going to look like? What would it look like if God says, okay, it's time for perfect justice? 
It's coming right now. If God brought perfect justice seven years ago to the world, how many of you would still be here? What do you deserve? Have you always treated people equity and given them equitably and given them what they deserve? Have you always stood up for the poor and the needy? Have you never been cruel to someone? What if God brought perfect justice? Well, he will. <laughs> That's the idea. One day he will, and it'll end this story, and we'll start a new chapter, won't we? Everything will change. So God who loves justice makes justice real. Not only that, a God who loves justice gives us hope that justice will actually occur. Without him, I don't think we have that. Are there still hard questions? Yeah. But you know, with a question like this, I remember what the disciples said to Jesus. You know, Jesus gave his sermon and everybody left. He had like 15,000 people there. He preached and there was like 11 people left. That always makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> um, and he says to his disciples, are you guys going to leave too? And they look at him and say, well, where else are we going to go? That's my answer with this justice issue. Where else are you going to go other than this God? Is it going to give you a better answer and a better hope? I say no. But fish it out. Look for it. Anyway, do you see what the, God, what the God of the Bible says he loves? What does he love? He loves justice. Did you see it? He loves justice. Now, this is both great news and terrible news. It's great news because he's going to bring justice. He's working for justice now. It's terrible news, and I've already referred to it. Why is it terrible news? Because I haven't done justice. I haven't cared enough for the poor and the needy. Not only that, I've been the abuser before. I've been the one who's demeaned other people for my own selfish purposes. Have you? I've been the criminal, both in my sins of omission and commission. You know what that means, right? The sins of the good things I haven't done and the, and the bad things I have done. Uh, this line from Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, haunts me when it comes to justice. What does he say? Will you read it with me? Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. We've got all these hidden injustices around us. Haven't spoken. Haven't acted. Haven't noticed. That in itself isn't unjust but I said my third point would be that God has worked justice for us he's worked justice for us you see the gospel shining in Psalm 146 and verse 6 and verse 8 the Lord keeps faith forever he loves the righteous what do you think the great picture is of God doing justice for us look at Romans 326 look what the apostle says about the cross of Jesus Romans 3.26, the cross was to show God's righteousness at this present time. You could translate that as to show God's justice. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the cross is to show you something. What are you supposed to see when you see the cross? Well, at least this, show you something. It's to show God's what? His righteousness, his justice. You're supposed to see, oh, God does love justice. All this world around me, it tells me maybe he doesn't. I look at the cross, oh, I see he does. How do you see God's love for justice on the cross? What, what, 
Well, number one, look at how much he hates injustice on the cross. What is he doing to Jesus? Wrath. Wrath for injustice. He hates it. It's poured out. It's poured out. The beautiful part of it is it's not poured out on me or on you. It's poured out on the substitute, the one who did live perfectly just and righteous life. So through the cross, you see God's hatred for injustice, and you also see what he's able to do because of the cross. So God is now just and the justifier. So quick little illustration. You remember King David? Great guy, right? Great hero of the faith. Sometimes. Writes psalms and steals other people's wives and commits murder. There's that. How can God be just and be like, David, you're my guy. I love you. I mean, if you're Uriah's dad, you remember Uriah? That's, uh, that's the guy David had killed after David stole his wife. If you're, if you're Uriah's dad, how do you feel about King David? And you're like, oh, he's a man after God's own heart. Let's read the Psalms together. <laughs> you want justice. And you deserve it. And then God, and then Nathan the prophet's like, David, I forgive you. Huh? Uriah's dad had to wait till the cross. Where was David's sin paid for? It was on the cross of Jesus. So that God could say, yeah, I poured out perfect wrath for that sin, and David's my guy. He's perfect in my sight. And if you think that's too much, boy, I, don't throw it out, because guess who needs it? You need it. I need it. God can look at you and say, that's my girl, that's my guy. They're perfectly right with me. But why? We've committed all this injustice. Yeah, I poured out wrath on it, on the cross on the cross. The cross is justice for us. God has done justice for us. And you know what? It gave me chills to realize that those nine things that God does for his people in Psalm 146, he's done them for us in Christ. Walk through it with you super, super quick. Number one, remember God executes justice for the oppressed. Well, he's done that for us in Christ, Romans 3. Number two, God gives food to the hungry. Who's Jesus for us? The bread of life. Number three, God sets prisoners free. What does Jesus give us? John 8. Perfect freedom. Number four, God opens the eyes of the blind. 2 Corinthians 4, what has the Spirit done for you and for me? Opened our eyes, changed our hearts so we would know we need Christ and he's there for us. Number five, God lifts up those who are bowed down. What does Jesus do for us? Matthew 11. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Number six, God loves the righteous. Guess how God feels about you in Christ? He loved more than you can imagine. Number seven, God watches over the sojourner. According to Ephesians 2, God has taken you as an alien and stranger and brought you in and made you part of his family, his people, his nation. You've been accepted. The refugee brought in. Number eight, God cares for the widow and the orphan. Well, according to Galatians 4, what has God done for you in Christ? You've been adopted. God is now your father. Number nine, God will bring the way of the wicked to ruin. And we remember Jesus was brought to ruin for our wickedness. It's all right here. God has done justice for us. 
in Jesus. Okay, there's all this hidden injustice. God loves justice. God has done justice for us. Guess what it should mean now? Justice what? From us. Justice from us. You know, it's amazing the psalmist says, hey, we got justice problems, let's praise the Lord. And you're like, what? Guess what you emulate in your life? Guess what you copy? Guess what you live for? It's that which you praise the most. People who really love the patriots, anybody in here, you're super spiritual, you know better than everyone else. Okay, you love sports so much, you love a team, guess what you're going to talk to your friends about? Sports and your team. Okay, and you're like, ah, sports. Okay, you love knitting. Guess what you're going to talk about? You love your grandkids. Yeah, okay, I, got, I finally got some traction on that one. Guess what you're going to talk about? You're going to emulate and think upon and dwell upon and live out what you praise the most. And if your heart is full of praise for this God who loves justice and has accomplished justice for you, if you're praising God and saying, I was poor and you've made me rich in Christ, I was the refugee and you've brought me in and made me a citizen, I was the orphan and you made me a daughter and a son and I was blind and, and on and on and on. If you have praise for that, the next time you see an orphan, what's going to burn in your heart? That was me. Let's do justice. That was me. Let's do justice. Justice will come from you. Not as a, hey, you better do this, but as a, oh, justice has been done for me in the love of God and Jesus Christ. How is it going to come out from me? How's it going to come from me? How am I going to do justice? That's the question. How are we going to do justice? And that's the question you need to ask for yourself. How am I going to participate in doing justice? You know what I want to do real quick is here just thank you for what you already do. Thank you for your integrity at work. That's justice. Thank you for your love for your neighbor in your life. That's justice. Thank you for the way you care about your spouse, the way you care about your kids, the way you care about your friends. That's justice. Thank you for the way you're generous and you give to things. Thank you for the way you're available. Thank you for supporting World Orphan and, the, and, our, and our church in Haiti. That's justice. Thank you for Jen Her on Tuesdays and care for pregnant uh, or and teen moms. That's justice. Thank you for Mentor Up on Mondays where foster home kids come in and, and, and our guys mentor them. Thank you. That's all justice. That's so good. And how many of you are willing to say, well, that's enough? It's not enough. And so I think each one of us, and I'm still wrestling with this individually, and it's something we kind of need to wrestle with as a church, and you need to wrestle with it individually for yourself, is what's my part? We all need to remember that we can't all do everything. Sometimes that happens in justice issues, right? Somebody gets latched onto this thing, and they're so into it, and then they condemn everybody else who's not latched onto that thing in the same way. Don't do that, you guys. <laughs> Nobody can do everything, but not your hope and princes. We need a body, right? We need church as who do things. But what's your thing that you can do? Let's pray. Father, I hope that we're all a little, um, a little bothered by the reality of injustice in the world. Maybe some of us, we already knew this. We knew it really well. We're reminded. Maybe some of us, we already cared. We're glad it's on the table. Maybe some of us, this is taking us blindsidedly. We're like, what? Um, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves justice and you work 
for your people. You're a compassionate God. You identify with the lowly, with the weak. We thank you for that, Lord, because that's who we are. We thank you that you've done justice for us. Lord, I pray everybody in this room, we'd be able to look to you, Lord Jesus, and your cross that has made us right with you. You've done justice. Our sins are paid for on Christ, and we are righteous and set free before you. And Lord, in the light of that, I pray that your spirit would move in us, nudging us on how we could see justice from us, that we could do justice, Lord, um, with the source of your love and your kindness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.